Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm your host, Brian Jewell. I am completely pumped that you decided to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, today on the podcast, we have an interview that's going to do something a little bit interesting. Uh, It's going to serve kind of as a case study in how one small town in Kentucky has leveraged its history and its uh, distilling industry and its tourism community to, well, kind of change life for the better for everyone in town. Uh, We're going to learn all about that in our featured conversation with Sam Lacey of the Bourbon Capital Alliance in Bardstown. That's going to be a super cool conversation. You're not going to want to miss that. First, though, let's get into some travel news you may have missed. A looming federal government shutdown could have a substantial impact on America's travel economy. As of this recording, congressional negotiators have yet to reach a deal on a federal budget, which means that a government shutdown could begin in as little as four days. The shutdown will have broad impacts across various sectors of the American economy, and that could include significant pain for the travel industry. The U.S. Travel Association, the nationwide tourism advocacy group, is predicting widespread difficulty for travel professionals if the government shuts down. The organization says a similar government shutdown in 2018 and 2019 caused losses of about $100 million per day for the U.S. travel industry. And they expect to see similar impact if the government shuts down again this year. Now, those estimates are based on the impact of temporarily closing the country's national parks, which are major drivers of tourism throughout the U.S., as well as the impact of suspending government business travel. Now, a government shutdown could also have an impact on the country's passport issuing processes, which are already seeing significant backlogs due to a record high demand for international travel. Well, now it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is the part of every episode where we reach back into our decades of experience on the road and pull out some helpful advice that we think is going to empower you to make your next trips more enjoyable and less painful for you and your travelers. Uh, You know, the uh, prospects of a government shutdown closing the national parks. Well, that's just not a good scenario, particularly if you We're planning on doing some travel to any one of America's amazing national park sites this fall. Well, let me tell you about an experience I had a few years ago. Uh, This was on one of our on-site fan programs that we did in conjunction with the state of Alabama. We spent an incredible night with, uh, I don't know, about 10 or 12 tour operators and a couple people from our staff. We spent an incredible night at DeSoto State Park Lodge in Alabama. Now, I did not know at all what to expect when we arrived at this park, but I was blown away by a number of things. Number one, uh, it was in an amazingly scenic part of the state, a wilderness with uh, waterfalls and uh, rock formations, just really, really beautiful. But we also had a great overnight at the lodge. Uh, the local folks there set us up with a fantastic dinner in the on-site restaurant. Great Southern cooking, wonderful hospitality. We had a great night there. And then a really cool campfire experience, uh, making s'mores and listening to uh, live music from a local singer-songwriter. Just a, a fantastic evening and one that I totally wasn't expecting. But it got me to thinking, you know, America has some fantastic state parks. In fact, there are many, many, many more state parks around the country than there are national parks. And a lot of these state parks, they fly a little bit under the radar. They don't always get the attention or the love that they deserve from the travel community. As we go into this season where there may be a government shutdown that inhibits our ability to take people into national parks, I think it's time for us to start looking more closely at state parks as alternatives to those national parks for a whole bunch of reasons. Obviously, if there's a shutdown, state parks might be uh, an alternative you have to use. And there are many state parks around the country that are pretty similar 
to national parks uh, in preserving very similar kinds of scenery. In fact, in the September issue of the Group Travel Leader, we did an article all about state parks that make wonderful alternatives to widely known national parks. Uh, They preserve very similar landscapes. You're going to have very similar experiences, uh, but there are some benefits to them as well. I'm going to drop a link to that story in the show notes so that you can learn more about it. But what are some of the benefits of visiting state parks with your groups? Well, number one, state parks tend to be a lot less crowded than national parks, especially those really, really popular national parks that can be hard to get into. Accessing them tends to be easier. It's more affordable to get into. Lodging at state parks is often much more affordable. In fact, if you look at some of the very popular national parks and the lodges that are inside the park, those lodges have gotten to be fairly expensive because lots and lots of people want to stay in them. State park lodges, on the other hand, uh, are pretty affordable and you're right there in the middle of the action. And um, state parks just have incredible diverse scenery. Uh, There's a really good chance that there's an amazing state park close to you or close to a place your group is traveling to. And you may be able to provide really excellent outdoor and scenic opportunities for your travelers without having to go through all the hassle and right now all the uncertainty of planning a trip to a national park. That is your road tip of the week. Now, before we move on, I want to share a little bit of news from us. Uh, Picture this scenario. You are on a trip with your group. You're riding on the motor coach and you've got uh, two to three hours until you reach your next destination. What do you do during that time? Well, maybe you play a movie. Maybe you provide a little bit of commentary, but let's be honest. Nobody wants to listen to a guide talk for two or three hours. Maybe you play some music. Maybe you just leave it up to people in your group to entertain themselves, or maybe you keep people entertained with a lively round of group games. Well, if that sounds fun to you, we have a brand new resource that you are going to love. It is a free download called Group Games Riddles for the Road that is going to give you resources to fill some of that dead space and have fun with your group while you do it with a complete package of group games that we have put together for you. Now, this free PDF download has eight sets of riddles that your travelers are going to love. Each set includes a printable worksheet, so you can uh, print it out and hand it out to your people uh, to to fill out and to play together as they go down the road. We also provide an answer key for each of those sets of riddles so that you can moderate the gameplay and have some fun with it. Now, this resource is absolutely free, and you can get it right now at grouptravelleader.com slash games. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well, so uh, if you are on the treadmill, in the car, doing something with your hands right now. Don't worry about stopping to write it down. Just look in the show notes uh, on uh, your podcast player or on the website, wherever you're listening, you should be able to find that link easily. Grouptravelleader.com slash games. Download the group games PDF absolutely free and set your group up for some fun during those boring stretches on the road. Now, it's just about time for us to get into our featured conversation with Sam Lacey. And you might listen to some of this conversation and think, gee, is this just a conversation about Bardstown, Kentucky? Is Bardstown uh, paying for this conversation? Well, no and no. Uh, This conversation is really a case study that I thought would be helpful for various people in our audience. If you are involved with destination marketing, I thought it could be really helpful to hear how one small town in Kentucky is having incredible success uh, built around uh, interest in an industry that has been part of their community for a long time. So if you're a DMO, I think you can learn a lot from this episode. If you are a travel planner, I think you can learn a lot from this episode as well, because uh, Sam is going to share some ideas about ways that you can integrate things like distillery experiences into your group tours. Whether you do that in Bardstown or other places. I think he has a lot of great ideas. We're also going to hear some things about the changing demographics that he's seeing in the group travel market. Lots of other goodies you're not going to want to miss. And just as a reminder, before we drop in there, you don't need to worry about taking notes because I am taking notes for you. That's right. I'm going to come back at the end of the interview with a recap of some of the most significant things that Sam had to say. And uh, we're also going to put those in the show notes for this episode as well. So you always have access to them. And for now, you can just listen and enjoy. And let me encourage you to listen all the way to the end of the interview and the wrap up, because after that, I'm going to share some thoughts 
about the potential uptick we are seeing in COVID infections right now and uh, whether or not we are about to see a sequel to the mask wars from 2021 and beyond. That's coming up in the hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Sam Lacey. All right, everybody, my guest today is an experienced tourism marketer and native of Bardstown, Kentucky, who is spearheading the city's bourbon tourism boom. He's the executive director of the Bourbon Capital Alliance, a nonprofit organization that promotes the city as the bourbon capital of the world. He works with nine partner distilleries and the surrounding community to build comprehensive bourbon experiences for visitors, including the exciting new program, Bourbon Capital Academy. Sam Lacey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Uh, good to see you, and I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, it is always good to talk to you. Uh, we go way back. I'm not going to uh, embarrass either of us for <laughs> how long we've known each other. But um, I would love for you to tell our listeners the story of how you got involved with the bourbon industry, because you grew up in Bartstown. It's, it's always been all around you, but how did it become something uh, that you decided, I, I want to make my life's work around? I did. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. So I, like you said, grew up in Bardstown um, since since I was five years old, lived here in the bourbon capital of the world and uh, went to college there in in Lexington, just a, a few minutes from where you are right now, uh, Transylvania University and uh, went down to Atlanta after that to start a career in the travel and tourism industry with Travel South USA. So uh, 2017, uh, moved back to Bardstown and to be quite honest, to that point, I was not much into bourbon. Uh, I enjoyed it a bit in college, but you know, not the good stuff. I didn't. I didn't have an appreciation for it. It was more, you know, you turn twenty one and and you have a drink type deal. So um, when I moved back home, was when I really noticed the bourbon boom in twenty seventeen, and uh, one of my partners, Distilleries Bardstown Bourbon Company was under construction uh, when I moved back. And I saw how exciting the industry could be. And I never took notice of it before. And then I started to think, wow, this is pretty cool. This is in my hometown, Mm. uh, a town of 14,000 people. We have all of these very well-known, both historic and modern distilleries around. Uh, it's it's a really unique dynamic. And so in 2018, I actually started here with the Tourism Commission at Bardstown and started running their social media, of course, had a lot of access to our distilleries, creating content there uh, and, and running marketing forward there for Visit Bardstown as well. So in 2020, uh, I was asked to become the part-time executive director of the Bourbon Capital Alliance, the, the organization that you referenced before. And, and yeah, we're a nonprofit here in Bardstown. We serve to push the, the bourbon industry forward on behalf of our partner distilleries and the community at large. And uh, in 2021, uh, I was lucky enough to become the full-time executive director of this organization. Uh, we had been a part-time organization since 2017. Uh, and, and so that really, at that point, it was like, all right, let's, let's dive into this bourbon thing fully. Uh, it was incredibly exciting to me. Bardstown is, is a heck of a tourism town, as you well know. Yeah. But when I started working at the Tourism Commission, I quickly found that bourbon was what most excited me. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. So um, bourbon is in many ways synonymous with Kentucky. Uh, I've heard it said that anything outside, you know, that's not made in Kentucky is basically fake. <laughs> it's, it's counterfeit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what makes bourbon so special as a part of Kentucky in general? And particularly, what makes it so special to Bardstown? It's the heritage and history mm-hmm. of bourbon. And going back to like the 1990s, uh, bourbon was not a thing. I mean, vodka was hot. Uh, bourbon was an afterthought. And around the 1990s, things started to change. Uh, part of that was, I think, our distilleries focusing more on pushing uh, the immense bourbon heritage and history out to the market. 
Um, vodka you can distill and and you know enjoy a week later. Mm. Bourbon you need two years minimum, and for the good stuff you need six or seven or eight. Right. And and telling that story, the authenticity of of bourbon, uh, the immense like I said heritage and history was key. Also around that time in the 1990s, you saw people like Booker No at, at James B. Beam introducing new expressions like mm. their small batch um, collections. Booker's, Baker's, Basil Hayden, uh, Knob Creek. So when those started coming to market, bourbon became a more premium mm. uh, alcohol. And and people started to catch on around that time as well. You started to see our distilleries begin to embrace the tourism aspect, the mm. visitor component. Yeah. And shout out to one of our distilleries, uh, you know, a few miles away from me right now, Heaven Hill, really was one of the first uh, to jump on the visitor experience component and to see a niche there. Like, wow, we can bring people in, show them our rick houses, show them our distilleries, uh, and and make a business out of this and drive traffic. And so it's just really evolved from there. It's it's really amazing to me to see what Bardstown has become uh over the past 30 years. And you talk about the Bardstown specifically. What Bardstown has is is authenticity. Mm. You drive into Bardstown from any direction, and you're going to see Rickhouse upon Rickhouse upon Rickhouse. Yep. And for the initiated uh, people that know bourbon, know what those are and how special those structures are. Uh, and and for the uninitiated, it it's drives curiosity. Uh, you say, what what are those? And and we get that question a lot in the tourism office. What are those things I saw driving into town? And then that parlays into, well, let's talk about bourbon. Yeah. Let's uh, show you how we do bourbon here in Bardstown. We're known as the bourbon capital of the world and have been for decades. And that's because of, again, the unique dynamic here. We have nine. I have nine partner distilleries. distilleries. We have 11 distillery experiences within 16 miles of downtown Bardstown. So that mass of of experiences for anyone, entry level to to high level bourbon aficionado, uh, all are within you know a twenty twenty five minute drive of of downtown Bardstown. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, I love what you mentioned about how Heaven Hill, in some ways, led the charge in in terms of saying let's find ways to bring people into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about distilling; it kind of sits at the intersection of agriculture because you know lots of product comes in that is yes. you know grain corn whatever agriculture and then manufacturing i mean ultimately it's a it's a factory they're you know heating things and bottling things and there's lots of machinery so how did and how do the distilleries welcome visitors into what is a working setting a, a manufacturing setting and make that experience um you know, obviously they have to think about safety, but, but even more than that, think, think about something that is pleasant, um, educational, entertaining, and it makes people say, I just had a fantastic time instead of, you know, I just, I just sweat through my clothes walking through, you know, <laughs> walking through a Rick house. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's been an evolution, uh, you know, and, and since I think Heaven Hill started with, you know, just welcoming people, uh, I, I think I heard a story how it kind of began was, uh, somebody just wandered in one day and said, Hey, can I take a look around? And, and an employee led them around and said, look, this is, this is what we do here. And then somebody like, Oh, we, we can turn this into a business. So, uh, it, it evolved from there. What you see now are highly curated experiences for all levels of consumer. So, mm-hmm. Referencing, you know, several of of my partner distilleries, you can go out to Bardstown Bourbon Company, and you can have a a tasting of of three of their products for twenty or twenty five dollars. For the higher level aficionados, you can have a seat in their vintage library, surrounded by whiskeys dating back a uh, hundred years, and for I think. 
$295, you can try some of those. So uh, the distilleries have learned to, to look at all price points and they have built out now when they're building distilleries with the visitor component in mind. So what do we need to do? How does this flow from, okay, visitor center over to the distillery? If we're going to allow a distillery tour, looking into the mash tubs, looking into the grain bins, and then of course, over to a rickhouse. I mean, these rickhouses are kind of mythical structures. I mean, Mm. you are surrounded, some of the biggest ones, when you walk in there, you're surrounded by 60,000 barrels of aging bourbon, each weighing wow. about 550 pounds. And wow. these, these structures are mostly all made of wood. Uh, and, and they're just, again, there's something kind of magical about being in a rickhouse. The smell, uh, a lot of these distilleries now will allow you on a tour to sample directly from a barrel wow. to thief uh, with a whiskey thief and pull out of that barrel a barrel-proof product to taste. And I mean, if you ask me, that's the absolute best way to taste a bourbon. You cannot beat pulling something directly out of the barrel, immediately pouring it into a glass, sometimes char out of the barrel and all, and tasting it at cask strength. Uh, It's a pretty, pretty special experience. Yeah. So I I know we have some listeners who say, Sam, I've never tasted bourbon once. Uh, I'm I'm not a big drinker. I don't know if I'm ready for that. How does that person who uh, doesn't have a context for bourbon, who doesn't have any experience, how do they find the visitor experience? And even if they don't drink, what do they get to do and see that still makes it meaningful for them? Well, again, you go back to the history and heritage. It's it's a prime educational opportunity. Even if you don't plan to imbibe, and that's that's totally fine. It's about learning the the heritage and history behind bourbon, dating all the way back here in Bardstown to the 1700s. Uh, settlers coming over from uh, Virginia, a lot of German settlers, uh, and and they found immediately that. Hey, a a way, uh, an opportunity here is to uh, start making what was then not technically bourbon, uh, but to start making liquor, uh, and then you know all of the origin stories that you hear, shipping it down the river uh, and in like a charred oak barrel, and by the time they got down to New Orleans, it was a different color and it was mellower and smoother. Uh, and everyone said, hey, this this stuff is incredible. I think mm-hmm. it came from Bourbon County, Kentucky. I mean, nobody truly knows. There are several different stories out there, the true origin of bourbon. But that's part of what is cool uh, about it. And so, again, back to your question for those people that that don't plan to to imbibe, it's again, it's a very unique educational opportunity. A lot of our distilleries now have dedicated classrooms uh, for tastings and other education. I mean, they've really uh, dived into uh, that part of the visitor experience. Yeah. And I imagine that there are many people that go into those experiences, not quote unquote, being a bourbon drinker and come out with a, a change of perspective, right? Correct. Correct. And, and I would say for the people that don't enjoy bourbon, Uh, or have not tried bourbon, lean on our distilleries, lean on our bar teams at those distilleries. Another recent development in in distilling is the addition of restaurants on site at our distilleries. So Mm. when you talk visitor experience, now we have classrooms, now we have curated tours, now we have tasting bars, and now we have restaurants. And so... All of our distilleries to a T, certainly uh, the ones right now that, that I'm associated with, James B. Beam, Bardstown Bourbon Company, uh, the tasting room at, at Lux Row, um, Heaven Hill, certainly Five Brothers Bar. I would say go sit at, at one of those bars and talk to the bartender and say, hey, I'm new to bourbon. Mm. Uh, what would you recommend to get me started? And chances are they're going to pull out something that's that's 80 proof, uh, which is technically the lowest a bourbon can be. It's going to be the smoothest for you. And that will be your 
your entry into bourbon. And from there, you'll learn to love it. I mean, I, I haven't seen many people that uh, have, have given it a fair shot that have not come out of it saying, I really enjoy that. So you mentioned earlier that uh, Bardstown has lots of tourism opportunities and uh, tour groups were coming to Bardstown long before bourbon was uh, the hot commodity. Mm-hmm. So uh, for that group travel planner today, how do you recommend that they go about integrating bourbon uh, and bourbon experiences into that overall uh, tour package where they may also want to do some of the other historic or or entertainment things that Bardstown has to offer? Yeah, absolutely. So we have so many incredible opportunities here in Bardstown. I mean, I've got to talk about my old Kentucky home for mm. a group travel planner and, and Bernheim Forest out uh, just down the road, down 245. And so there is a lot, the Civil War Museum in Spalding Hall, our Oscar Getz Museum of Bourbon History. There is a lot here for a group tour planner. Several things uh, when you're talking about planning or integrating a bourbon component we are incredibly busy. Uh, I would encourage if you're looking to build product uh, around Bardstown and uh, Bourbon, uh, you need to book those experiences several months out. Uh, that that's kind of the booking time that we're seeing. Uh, and and think also about the way your day is going to flow. Uh, I would recommend doing Bourbon. After a lunch, I would recommend doing bourbon in an afternoon. So perhaps it's a thing where you do my old Kentucky home, their incredible home tour um, there in the morning and pop over to uh, Toogie's Table right across the street or any one of our uh, restaurants. Uh, Get a little food in you and then go do a tasting of bourbon. So we always have an eye on the safety component. Uh, and, and our distilleries, to their credit, are the leaders in that endeavor mm. as well. Uh, they, they will not overserve. They are limited in what they can serve you. Mm. And they stick very closely to that. Bourbon is about an enjoyment of the spirit, an appreciation of the spirit. It's meant to be tasted and savored. Uh, and, and so I think if you take those few things into account, uh, you'll have a great time here in Bardstown. And going back to a, you know, a few questions ago, there are opportunities here for any price point. Mm. And for the, the $20 uh, initial mash bill tasting at Heaven Hill is incredible. People do that over and over. Incredible value for $20 with some good product. Uh, all the way up to a a much higher level, a tour with a master distiller, you know, which can be a couple of hundred dollars. But they are going to offer you a perspective uh, that that nobody else can offer. These master distillers, uh, four hour distilleries, are like rock stars, you know, in mm. the bourbon world. So yeah, um, they they all to a T have incredible personalities, uh, very amenable to visitors, and they just bourbon is a passion for them. They want to sit and talk about it. They can't get enough of it. Mm. It's just so authentic here. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, I've been in some places uh, around the country where there's a tasting room that you can get in and out of in 20 minutes, and you know if you don't stay in shop. It's like, okay, well, that was, that was good. Now what? So for tour planners who are trying to sort of time out the day, um, is a bourbon distillery visit, you know, that 30 minute in and out, or is there more to see and do and explore in terms of touring the grounds or the visitor center? How much time should they really budget for this? You can do anything from, like you said, half an hour, uh, pop into, you don't even have to really curate anything. You can pop into one of the cocktail bars Mm. Uh, at our distilleries and and get a tasting or get a flight right there at the bar. So that does not need to be planned in advance. I mean, thinking right now of 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 Beam and Heaven Hill and Bardstown Bourbon, Luxro has a tasting bar, Preservation. Um, so most of our distilleries here, uh, Maker's Mark, Beam, et cetera, you can pop in and, and do a tasting at the restaurant or the cocktail bar. Also, uh, you can plan for a two-hour 
uh, integrated experience, comprehensive mm-hmm. experience, including a tasting, including some sit-down education, brand education, including a Rickhouse tour. Uh, and, and they all have their own unique aspects. You know, so distilling at its core is both a scientific process, becoming increasingly scientific, but there will always be uh, art to distilling. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of those two. And so when you uh, look at each of our individual distilleries, they're all, although it's ultimately the same process, they're all doing things differently. Mm. And that's what makes them unique. Yeah, that's wonderful. So that kind of experience is going to attract a different kind of clientele maybe than the people who were coming to Bardstown 30 years ago uh, when you were growing up. Tell me what you have seen in terms of the profile or the demographic makeup of your visitors and especially groups visiting, because it's, it's probably not just seniors on a motor coach. You're probably getting all kinds of groups. So what does that look like these days? Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and really I started noticing it just right before COVID um, started and our groups now are skewing smaller and younger. So certainly back when I was growing up uh, here in the 1990s, we saw a lot of big bus traffic and they were hitting Stephen Foster. They were hitting Mall Kentucky home. And we still see some of that. My office right behind me is is in the old uh, historic courthouse right in the center of downtown. Mm -hmm. Our visitor center is right um, outside my door. So those buses, I see them when they come through. They they park right behind me. And we're starting to see um, some additional big motor coach traffic, uh, which is great to see. Yeah. It's great to see the Visit Bardstown is putting an emphasis on that, on getting those groups back to Bardstown, which I think is fantastic. But what we're also seeing and what we've noticed is these smaller groups, these groups mm. of four or five uh, 30-year-old guys on, on a bourbon trip. Yeah. Coming and staying in Bardstown, staying at one of our Airbnbs downtown, staying in one of our hotels. And inevitably, they always end up right across the street at Old Talbot Tavern, mm-hmm. uh, the oldest whiskey bar in the world. So going in there is kind of a rite of passage for uh, somebody on a bourbon trek. You've got to go in Old Talbot Tavern. And so it's it's exciting, I think, for us and for Bardstown and for our distilleries. The thing about that type of clientele is it's got a 40-year runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got these 30-year-old uh, young gentlemen, and honestly, we see some bachelorette parties in, in town these days too, which is pretty yeah, cool. That is cool. Um, but yeah, they, they for our distilleries, things are skewing a little younger, and that gives them the opportunity to turn these, these 30-year-old people into lifelong Consumers, lifelong uh, advocates for their brand and for Bardstown. Yeah, that's great. So speaking of Bardstown and the community, how is this new influx of travel impacting the community, impacting the rest of the the tourism market, other people who live there? What's the back and forth like in that situation? It's a symbiotic relationship. Mm. And for our uh, other tourism attractions, they have embraced the additional traffic because it provides overflow to them. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I mean, we've got dedicated people that are coming here for things other than bourbon. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, want to make that clear for the people that come specifically for bourbon. You know, there's a good chance they're going to hit my old Kentucky home. Uh, right. There's a good chance they're going to go in the Oscar Getz Museum of Bourbon History in Spalding Hall downtown, which is free at all times, I might add, uh, and, and loves group traffic. So it's it's been good for Bardstown. The thing about tourism uh, that, that most people understand is that when these folks come to town, they leave their money here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they eat in our restaurants. They browse our shops downtown. We have incredible retail in downtown Bardstown. Mm-hmm. And those people make some time to look through there. And to a T, I mean, all of our stuff downtown is family owned. Mm-hmm. You are supporting local families that then support local T-ball teams. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, kind of that uh, trickle down effect from these travelers that come in, uh, spend money at our distilleries, but also at our restaurants, at our lodging. All that money stays here, circulates throughout the economy and is good for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned uh, in the intro that you have been working on some cool experiences uh, there with your team. Tell us about the Bourbon Capital Academy, what that experience is like and um, any other cool stuff you've got in the works. Yeah. Yeah. So really excited about the Bourbon Capital Academy and kind of going back to the overall purpose of, of my organization, the Bourbon Capital Alliance, uh, we are here to, to kind of create or, or build the comprehensive bourbon experience here in, in Bardstown, Nelson County. And one of the ways in which we intend to do that is by creating uh, Bardstown-centric bourbon education that we will host uh, on site in historic Spalding Hall on the third floor in, in the recently opened Brindiamo Penthouse. Uh, and, and so what we've built there is a dedicated classroom with 24 seats for the Bourbon Capital Academy. And what we are building uh, in concert with our distilleries is a really cool, really unique bourbon curriculum. So we're going to teach you base level knowledge of distilling, uh, but specifically what we want you to know is Bardstown's history mm. and how we tie in, how we were pivotal in, in bourbon history, heritage and evolution today. And we want you to know family names like the Shapiras and the Dance and the Nose and the Beams, uh, all the Samuels family from Maker's Mark, all of those families that basically created bourbon going back decades, uh, they all have ties to Bardstown. It's, it's an exciting time here. Um, the Bourbon Capital Academy, when you leave we want you to know bourbon, but it's a strategic effort to create those educated people that are talking about Bardstown, that are knowledgeable about Bardstown, and kind of spreading the word of our history and our partner distilleries. And, you know, tying back also into tourism from a different uh, avenue, we're going to adopt that bourbon, adapt that Bourbon Capital Academy course. Uh, and offer it to our local hospitality industry mm. in an effort, again, strategically to upscale the experience here for a traveler so that when they have those questions, if you're new to bourbon or if you're curious about Bardstown and our history, our bar workers, our restaurant workers, our hotel staff will be knowledgeable uh, and, and be able to better answer those questions. So, Again, it's about kind of building the overall experience here for a consumer, uh, as well as our residents. I mean, this there's so much of what I'm doing applies to our residents and as well. Uh, so, really excited about the Bourbon Capital Academy. We are building that course right now and plan to offer that beginning uh, August September. Yeah. That's wonderful. So uh, what is the best way for people to find out more about that, sign up for that, or uh, learn more about the work you're doing? Uh, yeah, a couple of websites. So bourboncapitalacademy.com, if you're interested in booking an academy experience. And what I failed to mention, and, and perhaps the coolest part of the academy, is we're building uh, continuing education components that will be hosted on site with our partner distilleries. So. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be a course, it's called our master's series. There will be a master's series experience at Bardstown Bourbon Company that dives into blending, at Heaven Hill that dives into the bottled and bond movement, mm. uh, Maker's Mark, sustainability. Uh, so you do not have to take the, the fundamental course in the Brindiamo Penthouse. Uh, you can dive right into, if you feel like you're a higher level consumer, you want to learn more about blending, sign up for the master series experience at Bardstown Bourbon Company. So it's a comprehensive bourbon education um, offered in a very unique way. Uh, so bourboncapitalacademy.com is where you'll find all that info. And if you're just interested in the other things that we're doing, 
You can check out bourboncapital.org uh, to see everything that, that we are doing here on behalf of Bourbon and Bardstown. So before we let you go, uh, we have some questions we ask every guest, and these are just for fun. So, yep. uh, so no pressure. Uh, when you travel, do you book a window seat or an aisle seat? Aisle. Yeah, why is that? I'm a little claustrophobic. Uh, <laughs> I don't like being hemmed, hemmed in there next to the window. My wife, and it works out. My wife flies window. Yeah. I fly aisle. Yeah, perfect. That sounds great. So what's one thing in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without? Earphones. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not one of those that walks through the airport with, you know, buzz off written up here and earphones <laughs> in. But when I get on a plane, I'm, I'm putting some earphones in. Yeah. That's a great way to subtly say I'm not interested in a conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Not talking. Just trying to get where I want to go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you had a free airline pass in a week with nothing else to do, where would you head next? Oh, man. Um, you know what? I've actually been thinking about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, Italy or London. Mm. And I've not done either one. I know my wife wants to do London at some point. I, Italy is at the top of my list uh, to, get, to get to. We did Spain three years ago, and that was just an incredible trip. Spain is awesome. So next, when I'm, when I'm hopping across the pond, will be uh, most likely Italy. Yeah, I can't go wrong with that for sure. So last question is, uh, what's something you've seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? <laughs> yeah, get me emotional, Brian. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, uh, in, uh, I studied abroad in Australia uh, in mm. college and my parents, Mac and Kim, flew over uh, at the end of my trip and I met them in New Zealand. And my dad and I did uh, the canyon swing in, uh, it wasn't Christchurch, uh, Queenstown. Yeah. The adventure capital of the world, Queenstown, New Zealand. We did the canyon swing. And basically, I mean, you're, you are over this incredible canyon. The scenery in, in New Zealand is just, um, the only thing I can compare it to is, is Switzerland. Mm. Uh, just in terms of sheer raw beauty. And, and you hold on to a rope or there are different ways you can do it. And then, I mean, you let go and you just free fall for a couple hundred feet. And then it, you know, it kind of catches and swings you out over this canyon. I mean, to, to share that experience with my dad was, was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that sounds amazing. You're right. It's one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been. And uh, yeah. put that high on the bucket list for anybody who can make the flight. That's the only thing. It's, it's a long flight. It's a long way over there, um, 14 and a half hours, if I remember correctly, from LAX to Sydney. Yeah, um, yeah. Have, have a, you know, have a bourbon or two before you get on <laughs> and, and just try to sleep. That's, that's, that's the right. best advice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good plan. Awesome. Well, Sam, it's been wonderful to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam Lacey as much as I did. And I hope you took a lot away from it, whether you are a destination marketer or a travel planner or play another role somewhere in tourism, because I think there are things for all of us to learn from what is happening in Bardstown and the great work that Sam and his partners are doing there. And I want to share a few things that Sam said just to make sure that you don't miss them, because I think they were really helpful. Now, when we were talking about the evolution of bourbon tourism. Sam said, it started with just welcoming people. It started with someone who just came in off the street and asked to look around and it evolved from there. What you see now are highly curated experiences for all levels of consumer. And he went on to say the distilleries have learned to look at all price points. And when they're building distilleries, they keep the visitor component in mind. You know, I think this is such a fascinating story because it illustrates that uh, you don't have to rack your brain coming up with what is the next hot thing for visitors in my destination or what's the next hot thing that I should be doing with my groups on tours. It really illustrates that you can just kind of follow the natural interest where it is. You know, uh, 20 years ago, nobody had any idea that people would be coming from all around the country to a small town in Kentucky to learn how bourbon is made. But 
the bourbon tourism industry is thriving now. And it just happened, as Sam said, because somebody had the presence of mind to welcome a visitor in off the street and show them around. And I don't know what that means for you in your community, in your industry, in your tour company, but I know there's a lesson there that uh, you can follow the natural interests of the people you meet and just be welcoming, just answer questions, just be friendly, do what we do in tourism and hospitality. And you might just find the source of your community or your company's next big thing. Now, when we were talking about the composition of the groups that are coming to Bardstown today, Sam said, our groups are skewing smaller and younger. He said, these groups of four or five 30 year old guys on a bourbon trip are coming and staying in our Airbnbs and hotels. And he went on to say the thing about that type of clientele is it's got a 40 year runway. It gives them the opportunity to turn these 30 year old consumers into lifelong advocates. And I love this perspective because one of the problems we have in the tourism industry is we tend to uh, put people in different categories and different buckets and then kind of build up walls between those buckets and not really see how one connects to the other. And so in general, in tourism, we tend to look at that group of four or five 30 year olds and say, well, that's just leisure. Uh, that's just individuals. And we don't see the relationship between that and the group market or the meetings market or uh, the incentives market or anything like that. But Sam's making a good point here when he says those people who are coming in small groups now, they become advocates and customers for life. And somebody who visits as a 30 year old may want to come back as a 50 year old and bring a group with them or come in a group. And um, it just goes to show that just because you're focused on groups doesn't mean you shouldn't also be marketing towards young people or vice versa, because uh, cross pollinating like that, attracting people while they're young and building interest in young people is going to build your group business down the road. So maybe we should stop being so concerned about demographics and numbers and just find ways to give people experiences that they want. And finally, when Sam and I were talking about the relationship between Bardstown's distilleries and its broader community, he said, it's a symbiotic relationship. The other attractions have embraced the additional traffic because it brings overflow to them. And he said, when these folks come, they leave their money here. They eat in our restaurants and browse our shops downtown. And those business owners go on to sponsor local t-ball teams. Now, I love this perspective, especially in light of the conversations that we've been hearing in the industry more and more about over tourism, you know, a place like Bardstown uh, might fall right in the center of a conversation like that because it is a small town. It's getting a ton of traffic right now. And leaders there have had to navigate some questions about how to reconcile those two things. But I think if we take a holistic view of this as an industry, we can find those ways to have a symbiotic relationship that benefits, yes, the tourism businesses, benefits the other businesses in the city, and benefits the community, even those people that don't have anything to do with tourism. What does it take? Well, it takes some visionary leadership, it takes some collaboration, it takes some great partners, and it takes leadership and communication to help the people in the community understand how tourism benefits them. If we do that right, if we get the balance right, then I think communities all around the US and around the world have a lot of bright days ahead of them as they find ways to make tourism a thriving and sustainable part of their future. Great stuff there from Sam Lacey. Now, you may have heard recently, uh, there are people who pay attention to these sorts of things who are starting to sound alarm bells that there's an uptick in positive COVID tests around the country. And uh, it makes me wonder if we are going to have a new round of mask wars and other conflicts surrounding COVID and COVID mitigation policies. Well, I have some thoughts on that topic, and they're going to be the subject of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue impacting tourism every day. And today... We're going to talk all about the COVID police and whether we as an industry need to take a stronger stand against them. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. 
An uptick in COVID might be trouble for a small vulnerable part of the population. For the vast majority of us, it's not a big deal. But predictably, we have seen a few organizations mandate a return to masking as a way of mitigating against a new wave of infections. Now, I'm not going to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't wear on their face, but I will tell anyone who's willing to listen that we in the tourism community absolutely cannot allow ourselves to be bullied by the COVID police again. In 2020, pandemic policies brutalized tourism unlike any other industry. And in many ways, we've only now reached full recovery. Today, the world is in a completely different place than it was then. A case in point, more than 90% of Americans already have COVID antibodies in their blood. So if anyone tries to pressure you into forced masking, vaccine mandates, or travel restrictions again, look them in the eye and just say no. That's the hot minute. That's how I see things. As always, you are welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, whether you agree or disagree or have other thoughts or questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach us at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I love hearing what you have to say. And hey, you never know. Your thoughts or questions or comments might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor? Would you go to your favorite podcast player, give us a rating, leave us a review? That is so helpful. And I am thankful to all of you who have done that already. My thanks as well to Sam Lacey for joining us today. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I am so excited to bring you a conversation with Eva Daniel of The Speak Shop, who's going to share some really awesome ideas with us about how you can improve your public speaking and presentation skills so that you can give better travel presentations, better conference presentations, and be a more confident communicator and travel salesperson. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. We'll be right back.